And uh, one of them said, I do not think anything is going our way. The person went on to explain by saying, it seems like the crooks and the degenerates, uh, the kooks of this life, are getting their way at every turn in the public arena. I don't think our country can survive, the person went on to say. I don't think our country can survive much longer if it continues on the direction it is headed. We continue to talk along these lines, and it does appear that Christians, especially today, are swimming against the tide. Here are some examples that I want to introduce to you. In Germany, the government is uh, forcing a homeschool couple into the public arena for education. These people believe that this is religious persecution, so uh, they have appealed to our country to take them in as people who are being persecuted religiously. And when I heard this story, I, I thought of something, the way things are going here in these, this area. If their wish is granted, they may be like fleeing from Hiroshima to Nagasaki just before uh, the end of World War II. Uh, we have um, a lot of things going on that are pressing the Christian community. And I don't know that the society at large realizes uh, how much we are out of step in one way or another with what is going on in our world and our society. Christians have become alarmed, for instance, over the aggressive crackdown around the world on churches and upon Christians. Just this past week, I probably read seven or eight news headlines, not in the mainstream media, but seven or eight stories that appeared on the internet about persecution that is taking place. For instance, China has stepped up its persecution against house churches. One Presbyterian church was stormed into by the public officials. They chased off the people there, and then they took this Presbyterian pastor and beat him uh, severely. Now, these are the kinds of things that go on in our world. And in, in, uh, in any case, we, we read these things and we say, well, these things will never happen uh, to us. Well, I don't know what the future holds, and I, I pray for good things in our own environment. But we do not know. Christians, indeed, are out of step. If you will, we are swimming against the tide. No question about it in terms of values and religion and spirituality. It seems like the public arena uh, has uh, not been kind to us in recent years, particularly, maybe the last 40 or 50. Nonetheless, do you think the Apostle Paul had any different situation than what we are going to? Some of you say, Pastor, I'm so vexed by everything around me. It just seems to be contrary to what the Scriptures teach and what the Scriptures hold forth to be good and true and holy. I'm so vexed by my environment. Do you think the Christians of Paul's day felt the same way? What do you think? 
There is no question that when we come to this passage in Philippians, that many of these Christians have grown discouraged. Some of them have given up. Others, the Apostle Paul is encouraging to stand firm. Now, in the text, if you uh, have been looking at it or listened to it in the reading, you'll notice that the Apostle Paul says to those hearers, he says, therefore, in chapter 4, verse 1, my brothers, he also means the sisters, therefore, my brothers and my sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. So here we find the apostle encouraging the Christian community at Philippi to stand firm, to stand firm in the face of trials and persecutions. And if you read verse 1 of chapter 4, you see that this standing firm comes at the end of the text, and he tells them to stand firm in view of what has gone on before. So now we don't get the impact of the stand firm until we see the kind of social environment that they are enduring or experiencing. And so we find here that we are to stand firm. Now let us then go back to verse 17 where the text began and we begin to see what he meant by standing firm. Stand firm, he says, because you are to follow the example that I give you. Now, that is an interesting phrase. Look at how it works. He says, join with others in following my example. This is the way you stand firm. You stand firm by following my example. Now, I, I, you read this, and often I have read this, and um, I wonder why the Apostle Paul would tell us to follow him. You ever thought about that? Aren't we just supposed to follow Jesus only? Paul is not our pattern, is he? Isn't Christ alone our pattern? And yet Paul says here something, join with others in following my example. Is Paul here then setting himself up as a paragon of Christian virtue, especially when we probably can read in the scripture that he had a pretty hot temper from time to time? Is the apostle exhibiting here some kind of spiritual pride or conceit? You could read it that way. In fact, I have heard some people say that. Well, let's address this and see what he actually means for us to stand firm by following his example. In the NIV, you find the word other. It's not in the Greek text. So you might say he just simply is telling them to join in imitating me. Follow my pattern. It becomes more stark if you leave out the other. But as I read this and looked through it, this passage cannot be divorced from the entire context, particularly chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, which is the great kenosis passage where Jesus humbles himself and becomes obedient, even obedient to a death on a cross. And the same apostle says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, the bottom line is this, that Paul says, follow me insofar as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I think that's what he means. It's not just simply follow me, follow me as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 throws light on this. And I want you to hear, you don't have to turn to it, but hear the, hear the passage or the verse that we find there. The Apostle Paul himself writes, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I think he means the same thing when he writes it at Philippi. It's a bit in shorthand, but remember that it's in the context of that marvelous passage in Philippians chapter 2 of the humiliation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is always, in a real sense, our example. But we also are to follow the examples of others, especially the apostles, who kept the faith and followed our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a difficult thing to do, of course, in a wicked and perverse generation. We're being asked to humble ourselves at a time maybe in our own lives that we want to rise up and do something about many and various things. Well, as citizens, certainly we are to exercise our franchise in the public arena. But what is about Christians? I hear so many Christians today getting so vexed and disturbed that they almost want to join a revolution. Is that what the scriptures ever counsel? That is a great temptation, isn't it? In the face of great evil, I want you to notice that Christ was not a revolutionary. The greatest evil that ever was perpetrated in this world was per perpetrated on the Son of God as he was unjustly put to death, if you will. And that is in some sense due to the fact of who it was, the greatest injustice that this world were ever seen. The apostle reminds us, though, and so did our Lord Jesus Christ, that we belong to another kingdom and our citizenship is in heaven. Look at verse 20, the way he puts it and the way he states it here. It's uh, done wonderfully. He says in verse 20, but our citizenship, he says, is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior. So when he talks about being able to stand, to stand firm, we must have followed the Apostle Paul as he follows Christ. And how did Christ live in his time and in his place? He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even a death on a cross, when it was at the cruel hands of the enemies of God. And so we find verse 20 then, a reminder that we belong to another kingdom, to another society, we are citizens of heaven. The second thing I want you to see that we must reject the way that leads to destruction if we are to stand firm. The Apostle Paul here talks about two ways. And life sometimes just boils down to two ways, doesn't it? It boils down to either going this way or that way. Now, someone has reminded me over and over that there are many ways to go wrong, but there's only one way to go right. So that's the reason that, if you will, there is a way that seems right, but it is broad. You can just about choose your pattern, ever how you want to live, and you can go that way. But we are called, since we are citizens of heaven, to live another way. And this is the way the apostle here says leads to life. The other way may be very enticing, but it leads to destruction. Let's see what he means. We are to take our stand for Christ and to stand firm. 
Now, some people might say today, Pastor, it is really tough to stand firm today and to be patient in the light of so much injustice around the world. Surely it is. The world at times gets out of whack. In fact, it regularly gets out of whack. And it seems it gets out of whack in many and various ways, especially religiously and morally. And it seems that one of the times in which it's out of whack is clearly in the present. I hear you uh, when you say, you know, I don't know how, how we're going to hold things together unless we once again seek virtue rather than vice. Let me remind you that the Apostle Paul never forgot that we live in a fallen world and neither should you. One of the first things that you should remember as a Christian that you were redeemed from a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. And the fallen world is always headed for destruction and the judgment of God. We live in that kind of world. So you should not be alarmed or shocked that you see destruction in our world. There simply, there simply is a way that leads to destruction. And the Apostle Paul reminds us of that. Notice what he says in verse 18. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears. And let me stop there. Remember that passage in Luke's gospel, where Jesus looked out upon Jerusalem, a city that was trying to kill him. And he says, Oh, Jerusalem, how oft have I gathered to you together as a hen would her brood, and you would not. Angst is in his heart and his soul. Vexation is in his heart and his soul as he sees the city turning to darkness from light. And here the Apostle Paul says, For as often I have told you before, and now say again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. That is a reality. That is something that the Scriptures say that we must live in a world where not everyone will turn to Christ. He goes on to say, though, and this is a warning for all of us, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Well, now, who are these enemies that do this? Are they the Judaizers of chapter 3, verse 2? If you go back and read that, you will see that as the apostle Paul went around, there were some Christians called Judaizers. They were half in Christianity and half out. They were preaching another gospel contrary to what the Apostle Paul preached. Paul preached the gospel of grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is God's gift. Salvation is the gift of God. It is not what you do for God, but what he has done for you and his son, Jesus Christ. But they were going around saying, no, 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 Paul only has it half right. You have to have faith in Christ, but you indeed are saved by works. And you must keep kosher. And you must be circumcised. That is probably why he says their God is their belly. 
That may very well be the reason he says, and they glory in their flesh. They have a sign in their flesh that they glory in. Well, that's an easy target, isn't it? In some ways, and we could just dismiss that as being the past. Now, surely he does have in mind here those in verse 2. But we would be wrong to think that the Apostle Paul is not speaking to all ages, all times and places. When he talks about those who are enemy of Christ, he's also speaking to those in our day who just simply live after their appetites and glory in their own powers. He is speaking, surely, in our day, and he is speaking sternly. Those who simply live after their appetites, you might say, they go from addiction to perversity, or those who go from idolatry to simply making themselves God and the arbiter of everything in life. They live for themselves. But the goal of that, the apostle reminds us, is destruction. It leads to destruction. It does not lead to God. On the other hand, the path of destruction is characterized, if you will, as a a loss. It invites God's judgment. And the end is an invitation to destruction and the judgment of God. When a society loses its fear of the Lord and a sense of judgment, it has lost something most precious to keep it at least a society in which people can live with blessing and benefit. And in the Apostle Paul's day, it was not a place always for the Christian. I don't know whether you know it or not, but persecution has now set in on the churches, the early churches. Many of them are being fired from their jobs because they don't have the right religion. Some of them are losing their property because they don't have the right religion. And some of them are being thrown into jail because they don't have the right religion. Now, they could have solved that problem very quickly, couldn't they? Just conform. Just conform and it won't happen to you. Don't be so exclusive and narrow in your religious view. After all, we have to become more diverse. You have to embrace these others as well, regardless of how they live. And you must embrace the gods that the Romans embrace, as well as Christianity. You'll be all right if you do that. But if you continue this exclusive path, you're going to be persecuted. The Apostle Paul then goes on to say, stand firm. Christianity is not a religion that uh, leads to destruction. It is not a religion that leads to death. The Apostle Paul is saying, stand firm, for if you embrace Christ... You have embraced life. He says in in verse 20 again, he says, we wait for a savior from heaven. Let me just pause here and say this. If you are going to stand firm, you must exercise patience always. That's hard to do, isn't it? If you are to stand firm, you must be characterized by a certain kind of patience. Now, don't take it to be my word, But listen what the apostle says in verse 20. I think it is a crucial verse in this passage. But our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. 
Now, that is almost an oxymoron, isn't it? To eagerly wait. That means make haste slowly. That's an oxymoron. Eagerly wait. Well, it is not an oxymoron in some sense. You can indeed be patient with anticipation. In fact, the more you anticipate the coming of the Lord, the more patient in a real sense you will be. Christians are to be characterized by a certain reserve and a certain patience. You should never forget that. The Lord Jesus Christ himself learned obedience, if you will, through submission and through patience. We are to take our stand then by being patient. We also remember that we are to take our stand for the Lord because we know that he's doing something in our day that the world does not see. But let me add, we don't see it either. He's doing something in our day that the world does not see or even suspect. But most Christians don't see it. And most Christians don't suspect that he's doing something marvelous in our world, right now, in our midst. This is one reason that you can be patient. And we should not lose sight of the fact that the text goes on to say that we are to wait for the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. What is God doing now? He is indeed bringing everything under his control when it seems like everything is out of control. We are not to look through the visible eye, but through the eye of faith to trust his promises that God is doing something in our midst that is absolutely marvelous and will amaze us when it is finally revealed. The Lord is doing something. And what is he doing? He goes on to say, Through transformation, he is transforming everything through the cross of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's theology here is if you are identified with the death of Christ and you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, he will continue to do a good work to you and bring you to your own resurrection because Christ has been raised and you will share in his resurrection. Now, these are simple truths, but in a time and place where we feel that things are out of control, they are not. They absolutely are not. And if we could peel back the curtain and look, we would not find the little wizard of Oz, but we would find indeed a grand scheme of things that God is doing through the power and presence of his Holy Spirit in the name of Christ. I did get a letter uh, today from Richard Crane earlier yesterday, and he asked for prayer. He asked for prayer concerning his Cuban ministry. And he says the churches are growing so rapidly there that they need help to be able to reap the harvest and to be able to see it. Think of this, closed-door Cuba Many, many churches being established that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me remind you that Christianity has not grown proportionally in this country since the 50s, 1950. Did you know that? In spite of all these big churches that bloom up, overall, Christianity has not grown for 60 years in this country. 
it continues to shrink a little bit. And it seems to be gathering steam. This is why we have to do the work of evangelism. We're not simply to watch this trend continue without speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ to our day and our generation. But the doors of Cuba have been opened. Laos, have you ever heard of the country of Laos? It's a little country in Indochina. God must be doing a wonderful work there because I just read a story yesterday where an older couple, advanced in years, in their tribe received the Lord Jesus Christ and they were kicked out and banished from the tribe. Now let me remind you that persecution never takes place where God is not working. If we could only see what God is really doing, persecution never takes place where God is not working. That's why there's persecution in these lands. In Saudi Arabia, the police just came in and attacked 60 Somalian Christians who were behind doors worshiping Christ and following him and teaching the scriptures. Why do they have to banish that? It was behind closed doors. No one saw. Cannot tolerate the worship of God in Christ in our land. Why do you think there's such persecution? Because something is really happening in those places. Now, if we really start to do things here, we might come under greater persecution. We'll just simply be out of step with what's going on. More and more and more. We are the counterculture today. We're not in the majority. We are not winning the public square. You say, Pastor, you, you, you sound hopeless. Not at all. I think we have the greatest opportunities that we've ever had in the history of our country to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must understand that if the tide goes out, it will come back in. We must understand that what God is doing does not lie on the surface, but it is at a deep level, a deep sea-changing level. When God was doing something in his son Jesus Christ, remember that in the heart and bowels of the earth, God was, God was bringing forth a salvation so marvelous to behold that one day will be revealed when this one who has been raised returns again without sin unto salvation. My friend, I think we have every reason to stand firm and to take good hope and to have good hope for what God is doing in our world today. The Apostle Paul did not look simply with the eyes the way the world sees things. He did not listen to the sociologists who tell us this and that and we're doomed. He does not listen to the physicists who say, you know, life is not worth living anyway. This planet is going to grow cold and it's going to die. No human life. The Apostle Paul could see another city that is eternal in the heavens. And one day our Lord returns for us without sin unto salvation. Therefore, my friends, in our day, we must stand firm and we must live for Christ as the apostle did. And we must remember that there is a way which seems right, but it leads to destruction. We're on the path 
that leads to life. Stand firm. Amen.